0: This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Hey, thrifters! it's Daniela, and today I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite mobile games, Best Fiends. I have a slight obsession with mobile games and find myself playing Best Fiends for hours after a long day of work and reselling. I'm currently on level 109 and going strong. The best part? Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters trust me with over 100 million downloads this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play download best fiends free on the apple app store or google play that's friends without the r best fiends download best fiends today and join in on the fun now let's get back to the show Hello everyone and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela,
1: and I'm Lori, and today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Sarah DeCovney.
0: So Sarah is an opera singer and an antique and vintage jewelry curator. Sarah's jewelry collection can be found on Songbird Sarah Jewelry, and uh, let me tell you, the jewelry on there is stunning.
1: Just Thank you. Gorgeous. <laughs> we can't wait for you to get to know Sarah and learn about estate jewelry selling with us. We're so excited to learn about this. This is uncharted territory for us at Thrifters Villa.
0: So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so
2: much for having
0: me. This is so exciting to have someone on who, like Lori and I don't have any experience really in uh, estate jewelry selling or antique selling in that manner, never mind opera, because (laughs) I don't know the first thing about opera besides me listening to it when I was in choir in high school. So um, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for reaching out to us. So this is very exciting for us. Um, before we kind of get into the minutiae of it all, why don't you tell our audience a bit about yourself, um, your background, where you got started, all that fun stuff.
2: Yes. So I am a professional opera singer, um, which for most people who don't really have any uh, sense of how the industry works means that I am an independent contractor. So opera singers travel all over the world, um, Each contract, each gig that we do is like maybe one week to two months. So we're traveling around. um, We meet a lot of interesting people. We're wearing a lot of interesting, beautiful costumes. And um, it's the kind of industry where it always helps to have a little business on the side. Mm. So I, um, I started off doing clothing resale. And I had an eBay business for a while. And then I um, was part of a business that did clothing resale for opera singers. We were actually, um, we were like a community of 10,000 opera singers. And my business partner and I um, developed like a peer-to-peer marketplace, kind of like Poshmark, um, but just for opera singers to sell uh, gowns and audition dresses and jewelry and like all the fancy over-the-top things that we wear for opera. And um, I've always had a passion for diamonds and jewelry. And I think that kind of Goes hand in hand with the the glamour of opera and the um, the interest in art history and and you know, fashion history and beautiful things from the past. So um, when that um, opera uh, dress business ended, I felt like it was finally my chance to uh, to do something that I'd always wanted to do, which was start. Um, my own fine jewelry company. And I think most resellers can understand that feeling of like, you love the hunt. You love the act of shopping. You never know what you're going to find. You like talking to different vendors and like going in crazy places to find things. And um, I kind of started the business just from the desire to keep shopping for jewelry but not having the resources to keep it all for myself so (laughs) very much
1: relate to that sarah (laughs) yeah
2: i can absolutely relate to it
1: (laughs) what can i do that will let me keep shopping
2: (laughs) exactly yes it's like it's like taking a shopping addiction and turning it into an asset it could be equally devastating to my finances (laughs) so true yeah. But so you yeah, found a way to
1: make it, you know, to make yourself some money. And so it, that that's the, that's the beauty of doing something you love, right? When you can partner things that you love and actually make a living from it. And your story is fascinating between the opera and the costumes and the fine jewelry and the reselling. This is great. All right. Keep
2: talking. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I
0: know. Right. Keep going. I want to yeah. know more.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it all started for me with jewelry, like around the same time that things started with my interest in being an opera singer. So like around 16, I decided I wanted to be an opera singer and I never turned back. And it was around that time too, that I got my first piece of antique jewelry. Um, technically at that point, it was still vintage. It wasn't a hundred years old yet, but, um, but I asked my grandparents for my 16th birthday, if they would get me like a real ring. And I specified that I wanted it to be really old. So they got me this beautiful, um, little, box ring from like the 1920s and it had a little diamond in it and I took it to be sized and the jeweler mentioned that it was an old European cut diamond which was a term that I had never heard before but that was like something I could grab onto and research Mm -hmm. so I just went crazy I you know read books on jewelry I joined online forums I was just like obsessed. So by the time I started the business, it was like fifteen years, like you know at like, age
1: sixteen that you started researching. Like you just yes. you were in that moment. And that's actually like a unique direction for a 16 year old to go in, in my opinion. Like, very unique, uh, already an opera singer into antique jewelry at 16. You sound like an interesting kid.
2: Yeah, yeah interesting. Interesting is a nice way to, uh, to put it. Um, yeah, it. <laughs> I mean that in a really great way. I
1: think that's wonderful. I don't see many 16 year olds that are that outside of the box. You know what I mean? I love it.
2: Yeah, interesting is a nice way to put it. Um I I mean, I loved thrifting like back in back in the day too and I would like wear like crazy things to school. And I I went to school um <laughs> I went to school in a, in a very like preppy like Abercrombie and Fitch, Vera Bradley kind of place, and yeah, I, I don't would know like, what you mean. <laughs> and I would like roll into school wearing like you know really really interesting things that I had found at the thrift store, and I liked, I liked having things that no one else had, and my social life probably suffered for it. But I I really kind of reveled in like just being that weirdo, you know? And and I think still, I, I hold on to that. Like, I love antique jewelry because it's something, you have something that's one of a kind.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So fascinating to even... Like, how did you get into opera? Were you in choir? Like, how did you go down that route? I'm just curious, because I I was a choir kid. I was in choir from when I was in fourth grade up until I was in college. Like, I always was a singer kind of thing. But opera was never anything that really um, I never wanted to pursue that aspect of singing, right? I just liked the whole choir aspect. So I'm just curious how you got into that.
2: Yeah, I was in choir. I always loved doing plays. I was like the kind of kid when I was really little who would like hold my family hostage and like put on these one-woman shows for hours, <laughs> and they'd be like, Okay, Sarah, are you done? I'm like, No, this is just the first <laughs> <have> act. more. <laughs> like, There's more, wait. Um, <laughs> so I I always had that like performer aspect and I I knew I wanted to do something with performance because I just, I I couldn't get enough of being on stage. And, um, but of course, like opera isn't something that most people like think of, you know, like it's not like, (laughs) it's not something that like most kids or teenagers are like, that's the thing. So I wanted to do musical theater and um, I was really lucky. My parents found a, um, they found a voice teacher that was, um, you know, close by and she happened to be a great opera singer. So I started taking lessons and it was, I think it was like the second lesson. She took me aside after the lesson and she was like, listen, I know you want to do musical theater for a living, but I think, you know, your voice is very operatic. And I think that would be a better direction to train you in because I see you having more success in that than trying to force your voice to do musical theater, which is a little more pop based. Right.
1: Wow. I've been waiting for you to tell me like where your incredible voice came from, because that just, I feel like that, that's a little bit of, born with it. I'm sure there was an enormous amount of training, but you have to have a very special voice to even be identified as somebody who can write opera. Am right. I, I mean, I'm assuming like, yeah, I,
0: you have yeah. to have a very strong, very strong, strong voice.
2: Yeah. And it's a timbre thing. I mean, you know, every year, inevitably there's like some kind of talent contest on TV and like some seven-year-old does some like manufactured, approximation of opera, and people are always always like, oh my gosh, it's a child opera singer. And I have to say that that's not a thing that exists. So like, the, the operatic voice not only takes like years and years and years of training to cultivate, but it takes a lot of, um, like, physical maturity so the voice goes through changes in puberty mm-hmm. and then like honestly it goes through another change uh, for women in like your late 20s early 30s it's like a constant um it's kind of like being an athlete like you're like re- you really have to mature actually it's different than being an athlete because age is actually right. an age asset is allowed in opera. <laughs> yeah age age is an asset in opera but um but yeah it takes a really long time so if you were to listen to me at 16 um you would hear that there was potential there okay, and there was like a sound that sounded operatic, but you probably wouldn't be able to recognize that it was me if you heard me now.
1: That's so interesting. That's great. Okay. So I had no idea how you, how you train an opera singer or how, how many years it takes or you know, how they can be discovered or whatnot. And you have to have the desire too, because it's not easy.
2: Yeah. It's really not. It, um, (laughs) it, it takes a lot of time. And I think the really frustrating thing is that I always knew what I wanted my voice to sound like. And I knew the artistic things that I wanted to be able to do with it, but it's really only like recently that I'm like finally after like a decade or you know more of studying that I'm like oh I can finally like I finally get it and I'm sure in another five years I'll be like oh my gosh I totally didn't get it in 2020 now I finally get it so it's it's a constant yeah it always (laughs) evolves yeah I also think it's super fun that your husband is also an
0: opera singer
2: It is really fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you guys get to travel together. Do you do do similar um, performances or does he do something completely different or how does that work? Yeah,
2: I mean, we... um we get to perform together sometimes. And when we do, that's amazing. But um, he is what's known as a helden tenor. Mm-hmm. So that means a dramatic tenor. He does a lot of like Wagner and Mahler and like big, like big, big dramatic stuff. And I'm a lyric yep. soprano. So the tenors... This is getting really, really like you <laughs> really know, really technical. But um, but in the operas that I do, it's usually um, it's usually written for a different kind of tenor. So we have a couple roles where um, you know, where our repertoires overlap, and we can do those operas together. And yeah, we we just did one together this time last year. Um, and usually, you know, we're on separate gigs. But because we're both in the lifestyle and we're both, um, you know, leading these, like, transient lifestyles <laughs> where, where we don't have to show up to an office, um, we can travel together. Except for now, because he's in Rome and oh. I wasn't allowed to go because of travel restrictions. Yeah. Wow. So you
0: haven't seen him for how long now? He just left
2: yesterday, so okay. he arrived in Rome this morning, um, and we'll be apart for three weeks. Um, I mean, we've gotten really used to seeing each other every day during the pandemic, yeah. but um, but you know, because of just opera life, we are also very good at um, at long distance. I'm just really bummed that I'm not in Rome. I, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs>
1: so here's a question does he also like to um thrift with you or hunt for beautiful jewelry and antiques is is, does he share that passion
2: no but he's really really supportive about it so like wherever we go if we're like on the road and you know there's like an antique mall in the middle of nowhere and I'm like pull over there's an antique mall like (laughs) he's always down for it. He'll just like sit in the car and like play games on his phone. But Sounds he- like my husband. Yeah. <laughs> but he's always like, okay, yeah, pulling over.
0: So.
1: You look out the window and you're like, oh, he's still there. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 And so when you go to these antique places, Sarah, is there something, like I know for us with clothing, there are things on like our bucket list or our bolo list, be on the lookout for certain brands, or is there a certain type of piece or diamond or cut or country of origin or any of that that you're on the lookout for when you Hunt for your stuff in the antique shops, or what do you what are you generally looking for?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the big overarching thing is that um, I only specialize in fine jewelry, so I don't do anything that's costume. Um, usually, gold. If something is really special and it's sterling silver, I might make an exception, but I generally don't um, don't do sterling. So um gold and platinum and palladium is kind of like a baseline and then I'm always looking for old cut diamonds. So um antique diamonds are cut in a totally different way. They um they're amazing. They sparkle like totally differently than than modern cuts and they were cut for candlelight and they're very rare because, you know, <laughs> you could you could cut a modern diamond in that style, but it wouldn't be an antique diamond. You know what I mean? I so need to start looking at jewelry. You like yeah. jewelry that? <laughs> inspired know, yeah, me to start looking for it. <laughs> yeah. So so those are like the big things, like old cut diamonds. Yes. Always. I'm always on the lookout. But mm-hmm. if there's something that's like different than what I usually go for, and it just speaks to me, I um. I will I will get it. I will give it a try. So, I used to like really only focus on um Art Deco and Edwardian, but now I've I've really expanded because I think, you know, life is too short to to be limited and Yeah.
3: If it it speaks to me.
1: Yeah. Something speaks to you. We, we say the same thing with clothing. If you're passionate about it, it, the brand doesn't always matter or the, whatever style you think you're looking for. If, if something you see inspires you, then I always say, go
0: for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I want to rewind just a little bit. And you said that you sold on eBay before. Yes, I did. I did clothing on eBay. So, um, and shoes. Okay, so did you sell your own stuff first, or did you thrift? How did
2: you? I thrifted. I thrifted. Um, I lived in Berkeley, and I had these really cool next door neighbors, and they had a thrifting eBay business, and they were like, "You should try this," and, and so I did, and it it was a really uh, like a learning curve. I made a lot of mistakes, but um, but I loved it. I don't. I honestly think that um. I made so many mistakes that it probably took me like a year to start making money from it. But, oh. but I learned so much from that experience.
1: Meaning that you like had some buys that you didn't, you weren't making money on, but you were experimenting and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. I, um, I, I had, it was actually, it was with my ex-husband. So, um, so I ended, I ended that business, um, about like a year and a half into having the business. Mm -hmm. And when, (laughs) when I ended it, I, I mean, I had enough for like five boutiques. I just bought so much inventory Mm -hmm. and I loved like the shopping aspect of it, but not so much like the listing and selling aspect. So that was that. Um, but it took a while, like when I speak of mistakes, it took a while to, um, to figure out like what I was passionate about selling versus what everyone else was having success with. And that has really, like, that's really carried over into the jewelry business because I, like, you know, I would go online and be like, what is successful on eBay businesses? And Mm. you find all sorts of things. And I was like, okay, men's shoes, you know, so I like about all these men's shoes. And I was like, I'm not passionate about men's shoes. And that's that's clearly coming through because you know, they're not, they're not selling. Um, So then I was stuck with all of these men's shoes and, you know, it was like things like that. So I finally settled in dresses because I was like, I know a lot about dresses. I'm great at describing them. I know what I love. So if I love it, someone else might love it too.
1: That's so exciting. And how long did you have the opera costume dresses business? How long did that go? I
2: think it was like three years and that was a similar thing. Um, So a lot of thrifting.
1: Okay. That's
2: interesting. Yeah. So what
0: would one look for in that case? Like so is there still a is there a market for that? Are people that are performing in operas still looking for costumes online that are secondhand or gently
2: used? Unfortunately these days, um, opera in America is like basically on hold for the foreseeable future. So wow. um so I'm very glad that I got out of that when I did, um, because my market would have totally dried up. But um <laughs> But yes, so when we do, like, staged operas, like if I were going to do, like, La Boheme, for example, um, the opera company would provide costumes. But when we do concerts, like maybe it's a gala, or maybe it's, like, with a symphony, maybe we're singing, like, Mozart's Requiem, or, you know, we're singing with a symphony or, or a concert orchestra or doing a recital with piano, we have to provide our own gowns. And that's very expensive. They have to be, like, stage worthy. You have to pay for them yourself. And, like, once you're photographed in them, you know, you can't just keep wearing the same gown. It looks like you've only done one performance. Right. So um, my business partner actually started the business with a Facebook group um, because she and her friends would just, like, sell their own gowns to each other after they had finished wearing them. And then um, when she and I met, I had the thrifting sourcing um, aspect of it down from my other business. Um, so I brought that into the situation. And, um, and yeah, so we both That's did it. Nice That's a
1: partnership right there. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then
2: other, um, other uh, users on the platform either sold their own from their own collection or they thrifted um, as well.
0: This is
1: so,
2: sorry, I was just going to say, this is so fascinating to like,
0: there's so many different markets of reselling out there. Like, like Lori and I are, are in the clothing, shoes, handbag type reselling market, right? Like we don't really venture too much into electronics or anything like that. But like, you don't think about the other things that are out there, like opera, who would ever know if there was an opera reselling type adventure right. going on or a, like estate jewelry. I know that there's a market for it, but, you know, I've never really thought about it or really thought of to look into that kind of stuff. It's just it's really interesting. and It's inspiring to hear conversations like this. It kind of makes you think a little bit like, oh, all right, there's other things I can do out there to help my business right
1: but they would all take a lot of time too to refine your skills and learn which is why like I think once you have a niche and you you gain some experience with it I know for me like I keep wanting to venture out a little bit into hard goods or you know and I just keep coming back to clothing because that's what I know but it is so broad-based we can go in so many different directions and hearing you talk Sarah about costumes and stuff my daughter was a competitive dancer for almost 10 years and I have thousands and thousands of dollars of costumes (laughs) in my basement. And then like, as she got a little bit older and started doing solos, they became custom and we had them, you know, made to order and all that. And then they got way more expensive and we just have so many. And I feel like I'm not even ready to, it's not that I'm not ready to part with them. Some of them I'll keep forever, but then most of them I can part with. It's just like a can of worms. It's so much. (laughs) They have all these sub, like you were talking about, like Facebook pages. Um, when it's competition season, when people start listing or if it's like a small group and they may have like a, you know, just something they would order from the regular costume book that's four years old, but now they have a trio and they're looking to just complete it. And so they're, yeah. excuse me, they're looking for one. So there is a huge market for that sort of stuff. And I'm sure it's the same with gymnastics and ice skating and mm-hmm. all of these performance based things because they're so expensive for the costumes and it's the reselling mm-hmm. industry is, would be great, you know, to yeah. like, be part of.
2: And I think the big thing, I mean, you were talking about, you know, finding your niche and, and sticking with that. Um, it helps to be part of a community. So, you know, for for us with, with the opera gowns, like that was our community. Those were our colleagues and our friends. Mm-hmm. So our networking um, was, was built in. And I think that's a huge thing that I didn't really realize with eBay before, that um, people... I mean, yes, people could be searching for a thing that you have and they find it and, and that's, you know, a match made in Google heaven. But, um, if you can create, um, you know, buzz around who you are, people will come to you because they want your taste. Mm. So, So finding a community, like just kind of leaning into um, the things that you're already passionate about and the connections that you already have, I think is, is really major.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. And once people know your aesthetic and your style and what you're sourcing, yeah, if they kind of latch on to what you're doing and they like it, and that's where a lot of your repeat customers come back and yeah. And then it builds your confidence and you can grow with it. And yeah, it's just fun. I love this reselling gig we all have. <laughs> Me
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's brought so many different people into our lives and we've just learned so much. And I'm a part-timer, so I don't do this full-time. Lori does this full-time. Uh, I have a full-time job. I work um, for the state. So I live in Rhode Island. So I work for state government and uh, this is my part-time thing, but it's something that I've always done. So 16 years old, similar to, um, <laughs> to your story, Sarah, I've, I sold on eBay, Craigslist, like you name it, I did it. Um, and now it's become, a, I mean, I, love doing this. I don't know if I'd ever leave my full-time job, um, but this is something that I really enjoy. I love having my own business. I love learning from different people. I love learning the history of certain pieces. Um, I love researching about different designers and how they came about and how they've evolved over the years and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's the part that really excites me. I love shopping, obviously, and selling the clothing as well, um, but I love to just learn. I'm a big yeah. more- yeah, I
2: feel the same way. I um, I, I love, like, I, I mean, it's, that's one of my favorite parts of the antique jewelry thing that, you know, you're essentially figuring out what was going on in the world when this piece was made. Um, materials play such a huge part in that. Like, during World War II, actually during World War I as well, um, you couldn't use platinum for, uh, for jewelry because it was a strategic metal, it was being used in the war effort, so jewelers couldn't use it. Um, so uh, a lot of the jewelry from the early 40s is made of palladium, which is um, a close cousin to platinum, and it's apparently very difficult for jewelers to work with. It's very uh, labor intensive, and so it costs a lot. Um, in labor. So they don't really use it as much anymore because platinum is, is available, but um, it's very light and it's great for earrings. So you find all these gorgeous, like 1940s earrings made of palladium. And it's just, it's fascinating to me how just that one clue just fills out the whole story about what was going on and, and,
1: how yeah, and why nice it was named. Mm-hmm. And just for the the those of us who are like laymen when we're out looking at jewelry, what are some, you know, basic things that you would encourage people to look for? You know, say they happen upon like one of those jars at Goodwill that's full of jewelry for $5.99 and then they start sorting through it. Um, what are some key things that would stand out that would show that something is quality? versus um you know costume jewelry i know the mag use a magnet i know that's one clue
2: yeah i've heard of that i don't do that um i mean maybe i should but um but i i kind of just know at this point which is i you know not a very good answer um but most things are stamped sometimes they're not stamped but maybe it's not stamped and it has a diamond in it. So there's a pretty good chance that, you know, maybe maybe the stamp came off in sizing or it was like worn away with time, but it has a diamond in it. So they're not gonna put a diamond in, in base metal. Um, but then looking for those metal stamps, like 14K, 18K, um, you know, does it say platinum does it have a maker's mark there's a weight to it that you just kind of know and um i always travel with a loop because a lot of times those little marks are super small and um like today i just popped into an antique store and um I got this chain that was marked um, as sterling silver, but I had my loop, so I know that it's actually 14K. So that was a really great buy.
1: Will you explain to us what a loop is?
2: Oh, it's a little magnifier. Okay. <laughs> yes. I was like,
0: um, <laughs> what's the loop, guys? <laughs> yes.
2: It's a, it's a little magnifying glass. Um, like it's Oh, the little tiny ones. So the a little tiny one. Guys, mm-hmm. right, yes. You, yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, like, wear it on a chain, and I just, like, wear it on in, and I have another one that I, like, keep in my purse just in case, because um, you never know, you never know when you're gonna, like, <laughs> have to stop into a little, a little hole in the wall, but, um, but yeah, definitely check for those marks, and then, um, you know, I, I know enough to know when something is worth taking a risk on, but then when I get home, um, I use different acids to test the metals to just verify that... everything is what i think it is um i have all sorts of uh special gadgets uh diamond testers and refractometers and all these things to uh to test the gemstones and uh and the diamonds so yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of like sciencey fun stuff
0: yeah there's a lot of research Buying the piece and then afterwards as well to make sure that what you've bought is actually what you think it is. Exactly. So can you tell us what is the most unique piece that you have found throughout your years of doing this? Or is there multiple unique pieces?
2: Um, okay. Let's see. It's really hard. It's really hard what country favorites. Um, so most of my stuff is coming from America. I, um, haven't i i have shopped for jewelry internationally but i didn't have the business when like the last time i was in germany so i wasn't like sourcing the way i would if i were to be in europe right now so um so yeah so everything is being sourced you know within the states um and then i do have some uh, some estate people who i know who are sourcing internationally and I'm able to like, you know, pull from, from their, uh, their sourcing. So it's, so it is like this wide stretch. Um, and yeah, I ha- I have bought myself some beautiful things <laughs> overseas, but anyway, when I'm like sourcing, I think Florida is kind of like the best
0: place. Wow. Why would you That's say Florida?
2: Um, a lot of older people.
0: I was just going to say, there's <laughs> the that go down there, Lori. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. There's
2: a yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you find older things. Um, I think the, the most interesting piece that I've ever found was this amazing, um, Victorian ring. Um, it, was originally a button or a brooch like some kind of button or 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 pin that was turned into a ring and it had these carved amethysts as two of the petals and then the rest were gold with these amazing old mine cut diamonds in it and it was huge and like bold and actually my former business partner bought it which is so perfect because I can like visit it and keep up with it it was so gorgeous and then there's another one on my site right now that is a 1940s tank ring um so in the 40s back to the 40s um military inspired looks um you know were really big you know in fashion too like with the the silhouette and the the triangular shape of the bodice and shoulder pads um so a Jewelry kind of had that same like militaristic um, inspiration as well. And this ring is inspired by the shape of a tank. And it has pink sapphires and like tons of old European cut diamonds. It's rose gold. Um, it's huge. Okay. I'm looking at it right now and it's beautiful. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, Yeah,
0: that, it's a really unique, that piece actually I was looking at your website is one that definitely stuck out because I've never seen
2: anything designed that way. Yeah, it's like so, it's so bold. It's going to be like a really, really special person who like, who can pull it off. Yeah. I love the
0: art deco I just I love vintage antique jewelry to begin with most pieces that I own are in inspi- like vintage inspired right um I don't actually own any estate or vintage jewelry I would love to that's something that I would love like just for personal for myself not for resale um, it's something I've always wanted uh, but I'm a big like art deco like I those type of pieces really speak to me just that like even like the 20s, 30s, like that time frame, love the jewelry from that time frame. Me too. It's so beautiful. It is. It is some of my favorite pieces. And I kind of, I pull from my grandma's jewelry box all the time because she has so many beautiful vintage pieces. Yeah. So I love that stuff. Anyway,
2: I digress. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, I mean, I, I, everything that I source is like I foster dogs too. And sometimes it feels like I'm like fostering jewelry and dogs. Like I just want to rescue them and find them good homes. And
1: like, hold on to them for a little while until you find them right home. I like that. And then you like, let them go and have their life.
3: (laughs) Well, and then you get
1: like a little taste of it. Like you hold on to it for a little while. So it kind of feeds that, you know, I find that since I started reselling, I buy a lot less for myself because I don't, you know, I would buy a lot at TJ Maxx and it would end up in my closet because it was more the hunt that I liked than the actual stuff. So now it just kind of travels through my home and I get to appreciate it and then pass it on, which is nice.
0: Yeah. I feel the same way. Mm. Yeah. I definitely do the same thing. For example, today I went out shopping with my sister, went to the local outlets that are here and I bought two things for myself that I've now decided I'm going to resell because I don't need them. Yeah, I got got them for a good price and make and make some money on it and I'm okay with it and it's gonna go to a new home because I don't need it I bought it on
2: impulse (laughs) right I know I it really it scratches that itch of like you know having something having something new to play with and then you let it go Mm -hmm. yep the beauty of sure, I'm
1: wondering if it would be too much to ask if you would sing a little bit for us.
0: Oh yes, please. <laughs> so <laughs> I do not to put you on now. the spot. I know.
1: I, I'm
2: like, should I ask? Should I not ask? I'm like, I have to ask. I it's I okay. will you send I totally you some understand. recordings. But the weird okay. thing about opera is that it's it's for a big space, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if I just sing into my computer now, it's gonna sound like some weird like <laughs> wall of sound. Let me send you a recording. Actually, there're like tons of recordings um on my Instagram and I'll I'll give you my website as well. So then I you can like
1: you on your website in your <laughs> yeah just beautiful so we will definitely share that in the show notes so people can go and listen thank
0: you (laughs) absolutely absolutely and if you want to send me a clip i'll add it to the end of the episode as well yes that's great oh that's perfect perfect. right at the end so make sure you guys stay tuned i'll put it in at the end i'll put a little clip of sarah singing
1: it'll be a finale
0: yes it will. It's beautiful. Um, let's see. So I we do have a question here for you, Sarah. So you are an opera singer. And like you said, there are times that you're performing for two weeks or you're performing for three months. So how are you balancing, finding that balance between your professional life as an opera singer and then traveling and sourcing and thrifting and keeping up with your website and all of that stuff?
2: Yeah. I mean, I am the kind of person who loves working. So... I don't know that I'm like a great example of work-life balance, I, and also because the things that I do for work are things that you know that that I'm truly passionate about, and you know would probably do anyway. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm constantly working and thinking about something, but I would say like a perfect day for me would be like go to rehearsal and then after rehearsal like go to the antique stores or estate sales or you know whatever um might be in the new area where i get to work so i think they really they really go hand in hand Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um it's it's nice to like have a solitary activity to do between rehearsals on days off um you know, a lot of time is spent photographing and researching and writing, um, descriptions, but that's all like nice quiet work that, um, is like a good, it's like a good downtime activity, um, you know, in contrast to, to singing and unfortunately, but also kind of, you know, it's been an opportunity these past six months have, you know, there's no opera really. (laughs) So it's been a really great opportunity for me to, um, really grow my business and pour tons and tons of time and energy into the jewelry thing now. So that once I'm back on the road, um, there, there will be some infrastructure in place where things can run themselves a little bit better. I have, you know, I have a virtual assistant. I have some people who are helping me with the admin things. And that, um, I, I think that that will really serve me when I'm in more of a balancing act.
1: Sarah, I have a question for you. Um, I noticed that your web, your website songbird, Sarah is on Shopify. Yes. And, um, I also have a website that I am struggling with because I want to update my theme. Did you design your website? Did you do this on your own? Did you have to do work? I
2: had someone? someone help me. Okay. So um, I had someone build out the theme, and um, and now when I want to make changes, I can go in and make them. But I didn't do the theme by myself.
1: Was this one of the paid themes or the? Yeah,
2: let me see what it is. I'm looking is. at the
1: bottom here. Um, Shopify it, themes and templates. Because I'm looking at different themes right now to upgrade. Because currently somebody built my website and then I'm looking to upgrade it. Um, and they have all these different themes. And I really love the layout of yours. It's really pretty.
2: Let me see if I can find out what theme it is.
1: <laughs> I don't want to take up too much. Energy, <laughs> no, but I was just curious if you okay, worked the on it. The
2: theme is called Ella.
1: Okay, Ella.
2: It's the Ella theme. It's a very clean simple i really like it um i find that most people find me um through instagram or like through google searches so for me i wanted um i wanted it to be like really simple and straightforward um because it's most people aren't going to my website and shopping around they're seeing a link uh, or, you know, a post on Instagram and they're clicking the shoppable link and they're going right to that page.
1: Right. I see that. I'm on your Instagram right now. It's beautiful. You're beautiful. Thank
2: you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, this is great. It's nice to have a landing place too with, you know, to kind of push people into all the different directions to your, you know, to see you sing, to your Instagram, to all the different places. So that's what a website is also nice for that as well. Yeah. Thank you for indulging me on that. I was just curious because I'm going to do it right now. Thank you.
0: I have and a I, question going off of that, Sarah. Um, yeah. the Have you ever thought about
2: going on Etsy? Um, I don't like Etsy. Okay. Tell me why. Yeah. Okay. So um, Well, first of all, it's not integrated with Instagram, and I don't like that. So I really like that um, my links are shoppable, my stories are shoppable. If you're, you know, on my stories and you see something you like, you just click on that and you can window shop, you can read the description, you can look at the price. Um, I find that customers are, uh, they have short attention spans. So you are going to lose a lot of people when they have to like make the thought of like, okay, I'm going to go back to the profile. I'm going to go to like the link tree. I'm going to go to Etsy. I'm going to go through the store. Like that's so many steps. Whereas like a shoppable link is like click, find out what you need to know less, um, less commitment I find. Um, I like having my own landing page. Um, I find that I, um, I'm building a brand essentially. So right. I'm, I don't want to be thought of as, you know, uh, as someone on another platform, I want people to view my business as like its own entity. Mm-hmm. And I think psychologically, Um, going to a website. um, I don't know. It just, it felt like I had more creative control over the experience um, visually and artistically that my, uh, that my customers would have. Um, So those are really the two things. I know a lot of people who have a lot of success on Etsy and something that is nice is that people, you have a big audience. So people are going to Etsy um, to shop and, and, they don't know that they're going to find you, but they would find you. So that's, that's definitely a plus. But um, I think for me, I, I just like having that creative control. Yeah,
1: I, I totally get that. I, I understand that. And it's nice to have the the different platforms that you're on kind of work together, like you said.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and at first I did, I had my website and I did have an Etsy store, but I, ne- I never made a sale on Etsy. Oh, Wow. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I don't know why that is. Danielle, are you on Etsy?
2: Um, I used to sell, so
0: I used to make jewelry, and I was on Etsy. Um, But I'm on it now for some of my vintage clothing pieces that I have. Um, But Mm -hmm. that's really it. I've had maybe two sales when it comes to clothing on Etsy. Etsy's hard because I feel like if someone's not specifically searching for what it is that you have, they're not going to see it. Or you need to make sure you have the right key terms there. You need to make sure like you are so specific in those details. And it's just a very unique platform. Like when I go on Etsy, I'm looking for one specific item and I'm going down the rabbit hole of like those items that match that criteria. And I'm not really venturing off into different areas. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I feel like Etsy is just a different world. It's just a completely different world.
1: I love to hunt around on Etsy, but I I don't feel like I'm there a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I'm definitely not there a lot. When I was when I was getting married, I was on there a lot, and I would get a lot of inspiration yes. for different things, right? So different things that I was looking for, yeah. things that I wanted. Almost I would go on Etsy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I did Pinterest. I'd go on Pinterest, mm-hmm. then I'd go on Etsy <laughs> and see how much this stuff would sell for it, and could I make it myself. And majority of yes. stuff that I designed for my wedding, like I did like the vases that the flowers went in, I did myself for my bridal shower and my wedding. The cork board that I did with this vintage uh, inspired cloth on it that I bought at Hobby Lobby and like I made this whole big board with vintage keys with the people's names on it what table oh, they said wow. like, yeah I did that all myself um but I went to Pinterest and Etsy to get the idea and inspiration from and then I would go on eBay and find items like all the vintage keys I got on eBay Um yeah. the vintage paper was like already um it was dyed to be like vintage paper and it was already cut up and I just got some twine and I wrapped it around the keys like all those different things I got inspiration from those websites and then I made it myself. Cause if I were to buy it, it was just way out of my price range at the time. We were getting married and buying a house at the same time. And I was going, getting my master's degree. So like I was in a crazy place.
3: <laughs> um, and
0: I think it's a different,
2: it's a different mindset too. Like, I think people like us um, relish in like, obviously relish in the hunt and, and making it happen. Like I can't, I can't buy, I can't buy clothing off the rack anymore because I like, just like, you know, like new, like, I just think like, oh gosh, like I could get something so much better at Goodwill. Like I would never buy that at Nordstrom, you know? I always and think
1: that thrifting has just like completely it's like ruined, ruined everything. Our, yeah. Our retail <laughs> yes. experience is just gone. Yeah.
2: So I can see how, you know, you would go on Etsy and you'd be like, oh no, I can totally get that for cheaper. I, I could, can make that.
0: Exactly. And I, then that's what I did. not it was so much fun to do. Like my sister and I got to do it together. It was a lot, it was a lot of work, but I loved it. And a lot of those pieces I kept... Um, some of them I gave away, like, you know, at the end of the bridal shower, I gave away a lot of the vases and even at the wedding, like people were able to take different things because I made them and I didn't want to be stuck with, you know, 20 of the same thing. Right. Uh, but I ended up selling some of it on Etsy because I didn't really have a use for it. I kept some, but the bulk of it, you know, I sold on Etsy and I'm sure I made another bride very happy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what I used Etsy for. You know, mm-hmm. if I were to use it today, I probably would use it more, like, I have some of the vintage pieces, but if I were to start a completely different business on Etsy, it'd probably be more of a digital product of some sort.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: creating some sort of digital, um, I don't know, note cards or printables or templates or something like that, I feel like is what I would use Etsy for present day. Yeah. Um, to do vintage clothing and, and jewelry, I just... I don't know. For me, it seems it's difficult, but I also haven't really ventured too far into it, so I really shouldn't give an opinion.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I know people um like within the antique jewelry sphere who do use it um and they use it in the same way that I use my website um but again I just think those those that Shopify integration with Instagram and Facebook is mm-hmm. excellent. See, mm. that's one thing I don't do, Lori. Do you
0: use Instagram to link? To your website Now my website isn't set up yet So I can't even use it for that But
1: Um, I haven't yet Because I I Honestly haven't really um, Had a collection Worthy of linking to Like I think my first few collections On my website Were just trial and error And I'm just gearing up For like my first real thing So that's all coming And I did I did link it to my Facebook page So that I can use my Facebook As a shop So those are all the things That I'm working on Over the next couple of weeks I will be I'll be busy but um I feel like Shopify has such power and it is actually kind of user friendly when you're in there and you kind of have a basic understanding of it so I agree like I I learned somebody another reseller actually designed my website and she's she's not a like a graphic designer or anything, she was self-taught and she saw the need within the reselling community to create sites. So she did that for me and and she did a fantastic job and kind of gave me like the little beginner tips on how to move forward. And I know how to do listings and stuff, but now like upgrading the theme and then really just making it what I want. That's like my next step. So that'll that'll take a little bit of time, but I'll get there.
2: You will. You will. I I mean, you know, I think, definitely hire someone to like, like, I don't know, just get the layout. But then once it's done, you can tweak things on your own.
1: Right, right. Exactly. That, that's what I'm finding even with my free version that I have. Like I've been messing around with fonts and different photographs that I'm t- putting in and taking out and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, the whole social media end of reselling is, is a whole education in and of itself that, that we, you know, we need to embrace and, and always be looking into more and more because that's, that's how we can all grow our business. It's one way to do it. So yeah, it's an essential thing. So I'm working on it, but yeah, your site is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, we have this question, tell the audience about your work with one love foundation.
2: Oh, okay. So, um, one love foundation is this great nonprofit that, um, teaches people about healthy versus unhealthy relationship behaviors, um, relationship abuse, emotional, physical, uh, you know, all of that. Um, And I am an um, an educational facilitator and um, ambassador with them. I got involved actually when I was... um, getting out, recovering from my first marriage to my ex, um, which was um, emotionally abusive. And I stumbled upon their website as I was researching. And it was just like, it's an amazing resource and and a great organization. So um, I have worked with them. and actually combined it with opera outreach. So Mm -hmm. last fall, um, actually my, my husband and I were, my current husband and I were doing um, an opera together called Pagliacci. And in the opera, my character um, is murdered by her abusive, jealous husband, who Mm -hmm. (laughs) was played by my wonderful husband. Oh my God. (laughs) That was interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I I figured that this would be a great opportunity to combine these two things, um, go to high schools and teach them, teach the students um, about opera and about um, relationship abuse, uh, signs of healthy versus unhealthy relationships. And of course, that isn't just for romantic relationships, the the principles extend to, you know, friendships and working relationships and family relationships. So, um, yeah, it's something really, really, really meaningful for me.
1: That's beautiful. And I, it, once again, it's like another thing in life experience that you've managed to fold into your business and, and share in a positive way.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to. It's, <laughs>
3: you know, mm.
2: I, I, think, I think the things that we experience become such a part of us. And when you're building a business, I think human connection is like the huge. biggest part. Yeah, it's huge. So you know, you want to be authentic, and you want to connect with people on the things that that actually matter. And you know, and, and I guess when I say it, it, it sounds like calculated, but but I really don't feel like that. Like I just feel like when when I share my own experiences, I attract people who are interested in me as a full person and like a holistic brand. Um,
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, sharing one part of your experience may resonate with this person and sharing another part may resonate with that. And it, you know, it all comes together and, and that's kind of how you grow as a business and a person and meet people along the way who become important to you and vice versa. So
2: yeah, it's
1: really nice. All right. So Sarah, where do you see the world of reselling heading? Where's what's your, or what's your next chapter?
2: Well, oh, what is my next
0: chapter? I feel like what's... I always ask myself this question. What am I going to do now? Like, yeah. now Oh
2: that. gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I really, I have like financial goals that, <laughs> you know, that, that, that are, you know, part of, part of my next chapter. Um, I would really love to continue like collaborations, and I would love for those collaborations to be like on a really big scale. So I've been doing um, a lot of like collaborative photo shoots with bridal vendors and like putting together these amazing looks and I love being a part of that. So I really would love Songbird Sarah Jewelry to like be collaborating with major designers and, you know, uh, theater and film and you know red carpet and and mm-hmm. you know all sorts of uh like cross cross promotional uh you know cross medium uh things because I think that's you know that would
1: be very that's who I am
2: <laughs> and um yeah I think that'd be
0: awesome I think that'd be really great. I think you got something going there. I mean, that yeah. carpet is perfect. Think about that. Exactly. That yeah. is- and
2: all of those things are, are on loan. So, you know, they're, they're borrowing them from, you know, Fred right. Layton, but <laughs> I would love for them to borrow things from me. Borrow
0: mine. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: borrow my pieces, please. <laughs> yes. And then we are like, so who are you wearing? Like, oh, this is vintage. It's from Sunbird Sarah. And then, you know, you trend on Twitter or whatever. That's that's
0: how
1: it happens. Sarah, that's going to happen. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. With the pieces that you have and everything, you are doing really great on your social media and the way that you're incorporating everything. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. And this was a really fascinating conversation. Like this is just, (laughs) a conversation Lori and I have never had before with anyone. And it's just so fascinating to learn and be a part of this. This is great. I loved it. I loved it.
1: Well, thank Girl. you for sharing your story with us, Sarah. We really appreciate it. And are there any parting thoughts you want to share with our audience before we go?
2: Yeah. I think something that um, that people say to me a lot that is kind of a... Um, you know, a, 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 miss, a miss, not a misnomer, but you know, it's, it's not true, is, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, I have a very minimal taste, so I'm not into vintage or antique jewelry. And I just want to let people know that um, estate jewelry, which is anything that's used, vintage, anything that's 20 years or older, and then antique, 100 years or older, spans so many different styles. And so many of the styles that we think of as modern are actually not new. They're just um, reimaginings of, of older styles. So I encourage people to um, to really think about estate jewelry um, because I guarantee that if there's something that appeals to you, um, you can find that style in you know in the world of of vintage jewelry, and you can find it in an iteration that no one else can go to the store and buy.
1: That's pretty exciting. And that's great advice. Those are great parting words. (laughs) And, And even myself just looking, I'm very inspired just looking on your Instagram, you know, there's, I don't know if it's a unicorn or a horse ring. Yes. Isn't that
2: unicorn amazing? It is so cool. And I mean, I sold yesterday.
1: (laughs) It's beautiful. Yeah. And I just feel like there's just such a variety. There's really traditional looking things. There's, it's just so eclectic. So like you said, I feel like if somebody can imagine it or have an idea what they're looking for and then the hunt begins and it can just be just such a fun adventure to find the perfect piece.
2: Yeah.
0: Before you go, Sarah, why don't you give everyone a quick rundown of where they can find you on social media. It'll be in the show notes as well, but for those that are listening and aren't looking at show notes.
2: Yes. So I am on Instagram all the time and my handle is at songbirdsarahjewelry. Sarah has no H Um, and jewelry. I always have to specify for people who are maybe in England, jewelry has one L. It's called the American Uh-oh. way. <laughs> um, and um, my website is songbirdsarahantiquejewelry.com. dot and you can also find me on Facebook, um, Songbird Sarah Antique Jewelry.
1: All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you once again, Sarah. Everybody go check out Sarah. She is so interesting. Listen to her sing at the end of this. Danielle is going to put in a beautiful sample of her beautiful voice. And this has just been a great hour of conversation. Thank you so much, Sarah.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. All right, everyone. As promised, here is a short clip of Sarah performing. We hope you enjoy it. (laughs) It's <laughs>